0: So now that we've talked about everything else under the sun here, before we get to this podcast, so Jeremy Devaney, senior mortgage loan officer, Fairway Independent Mortgage Corporation. So, what exactly is a senior mortgage loan officer? It's an older mortgage
1: loan officer. No, uh, so <laughs> advanced. More, more, more seriously, it's uh, a advisor to mm-hmm. homeowners or, or prospective homeowners, folks who are looking to obtain a mortgage. Um, I help them through the process from start to finish, guiding them in their selection of mortgage products, mm. and then discussing the different puts and takes of each of those products as they go through and then helping them through the underwriting process as well, and then servicing the loan afterwards, helping folks to uh, to manage their ownership costs over the life cycle of their, their home ownership. What do you mean by servicing the loan? What is that what is that? Entail? So there's the, I always tell clients really our relationship starts when when the loan closes. Okay. Um, a lot of times you'll find that your your banking relationship with your loan officer ends at the closing table, but really all the major questions happen once you once you have the house. Uh, how how does your ownership uh mm-hmm. time frame change how does your goals of ownership change over time how does your your financial well-being change over time what can you do to the house you know uh, you, we before the podcast got rolling we were talking about your your neighbors and what they were looking to do with the yeah. house or you know you you and your fiance looking at uh doing different things with your house mm-hmm. those those are all things as life moves on you look at your assets and, and what your assets can do for you a lot of people yeah. forget that their house is their their largest asset. And so a lot of that counts. A lot of that advisory takes place after they own the house. Hmm. Tell us about Fairway Independent Mortgage Corp. Sure, fourth largest uh, lender in the country, Uh, second largest independent lender. So what what that really means is we're a non-depository institution. Uh, skip, Skip the jargon. We don't take deposits. We don't have bank branches. We don't have tellers. Uh, okay. All we do is mortgage loans, residential
0: mortgage loans, to be specific. So we don't have a commercial arm or anything of okay. the sort. Because I was actually going to ask you, like, what's the difference between, like, you guys and, like, a Bank of America? Like, my mortgage is I – I have to pay Bank of America. I was wondering what the difference was.
1: So, uh, honestly, we we actually originate mortgages. We We – create mortgages for a lot okay. of the big bricks and mortars banks in the country okay. uh, because our overhead costs are lower. So you go into a Bank of America branch and, you know, pick pick your company. Yeah. Uh, if you go into their branch and say, I need a mortgage, you're only looking at Bank of America mortgage product. Mm-hmm. As an independent mortgage bank, I have the whole world at my fingertips okay. in terms of mortgage products. Uh, ultimately, there's different investors out there that invest in conforming loans and jumbo loans mm-hmm. and all sorts of different stuff. So Santander, Wells Fargo, yeah. Chase, uh, they're, BB&T, they're, they're all investors that ultimately buy loans off of our books. Yeah. Uh, we do underwrite and originate directly for Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and HUD FHA loan programs. We originate from Mass Housing. So there's, there's a lot of different uh, loan products that we can bring to bear. That a normal bricks and mortar wouldn't be able to do, and
0: on top of it, we can do it faster and more cheaply in in ninety nine percent of the situations than a bricks and mortar bank. Something that's always I've I've always found kind of interesting about the mortgage industry is why do mortgages get sold to like for like you, like for example, when I bought my house, I had it with I had my loan through this bank, and then like a month later, it got sold to Bank of America. Why does What's the reasoning behind that? Sure. So that's called the secondary market. So the
1: primary market, the the, the first tier of the market is us making the loan to people. The secondary market is what happens to it once, once that mortgage, which is an asset to the bank, is created. And so if you think about it real fundamentally, if I loan you, Jonathan, $100, and I just hold on to the note that says I loaned you $100, I can't go and make another loan until that $100 is repaid. Okay. So the fastest way for me to get my money back is actually to sell that that note that you owe me 100 bucks to somebody else and let them service it. And then I take the money and I go and make another loan with it. Um, so what we're really, really, really good at is helping people decide on loan product, yeah. originating that loan product, and, and then by servicing it, we actually maintain relationships with all the people that buy the loans off of our books in the secondary market. And so when issues pop up regarding, you know, whether whether it's your escrow accounts, real mm-hmm. jargony word there yeah. for you, but taxes, insurance, mm-hmm. uh, you're having trouble getting the automated payments to work and you need to get in touch with customer service. One of the beautiful things about being the fourth largest lender in the country is, you can pick up the phone and call me. I'm still your primary contact point, yeah. even though I don't own the loan anymore. Mm-hmm. And I can get our servicing team involved. And usually within 24 hours, I can have any question resolved that in other situations, you'd be picking up the phone to an 800 number and yeah. you know hanging on the line while you listen to weight wait music. Waiting and, music. Yeah. yeah. That, that's always painful. But you, you get to deal with my happy, shiny, smiley face Throughout throughout <laughs> throughout your life cycle, and that, that's the beauty of
0: working with an independent okay. banker. How do you develop your clientele? Is it people just f- reaching out to you? Is it realtors? Like, how do you develop the people that you work with?
1: That's an awesome question. So, uh, a lot of it is from partners. Okay. So, in uh, in by partners, I mean folks that have chosen me and my company to be the the best people to work with. Okay and they're comfortable referring to us. It's nothing, there's no quid pro quo. There's no no compensation for it. It's strictly a, we've done the best for them in the past and they trust us with their business going forward. So largely it's earned through trust. But you know, one of the beauties about my business, the mortgage business, and one of the reasons I got into it I used to work in an institutional business where my clients were private equity funds and hedge yeah. funds, and you know these large investors. Oh, I ask you about that later. Yeah, we can dive into it. But yeah. one of the beauties about this business is I get to work with my friends, my family, my mm-hmm. neighbors. You know, I do loans for people in my neighborhood all the time. I do f- things in my circle of influence where where I'm involved in different segments of the community, and so you cultivate those relationships of trust and. Uh I'll go back to, well, I'm called a mortgage loan officer. Uh, I view myself and call myself an advisor um, and and think of myself as a fiduciary for my clients. It's not a formal fiduciary. You'd never seen a mortgage loan officer actually have a fiduciary agreement. But I try to give folks good advice, and I tell my clients all the time, I don't care whether we close a loan. Ultimately, I want to leave you in a better position Mm -hmm. than when you came to me. And if I do that, at the end of the day, I can look myself in the mirror and I can sleep at night and and know that I've done a good job. So, you know, giving good advice and yeah. earning trust mm-hmm. is really how I
0: yeah. I get my clients. Right. Let's talk about you for a minute. Are sure. you from the area, or give us give us your background?
1: Awesome. So yeah, I, I actually grew up in Marshfield. So um, until third grade, we we lived here and uh, went to Holy Family School over in Rockland for a bit and uh, Montessori now Inley School. O- over in Norwell. And then my family relocated down to Centerville on the Cape. Wow. So um, really in the late 80s, we moved down to the Cape and uh, spent a lot of my childhood there and then moved on. And I've been all over the East Coast, uh, went went to high school, went went to a boarding school up on the North Shore mm-hmm. of Mass, Governor's Academy, GoGovs, uh, <laughs> oldest boarding school in the country. Really? Yeah, 1763. Wow. Yeah. Uh, our, our founders actually went on to found Phillips Andover and Phillips Exeter. So Um, It's kind of funny. You drive by Andover and they've got the sign that says it, but we we always know. You know. (laughs) We know. The (laughs) the truth is out there. Um, So yeah, and then wound up down in the South for a long time. Went to college at Charleston. Uh, Graduated from there and bounced around in investment banking and consulting, Uh, Richmond, Northern Virginia, Washington, DC, and then up in Cambridge. And then my wife and I relocated back to Marshfield from D.C. Mm -hmm. in 2013 to start a family. Couldn't think of any better place in the world to start a family. And I should add, my wife is a Marshfield High School graduate. (laughs) So we met in Richmond, Virginia, of all places. That's funny. Stuck on a flight uh, flying home for Christmas. (laughs) <laughs> and, and sat down next to a beautiful girl. Turned out she was from Marshfield, and boom—you uh, know, Jim Cantwell always says uh, that that we're struck by uh, the what? cosmic lottery. Co- cosmic lottery, yeah. and, and, and we, not we... only did I get the town in the cosmic lottery, I got
0: the girl too. Were so. you on the flight with her, or was it, or you were waiting for
1: the? flight? Uh, walked into the terminal, saw a beautiful girl sitting there, <laughs> and next thing you know, our flight was stranded for for eight hours, <laughs> and there was a Sam Adams brew pub behind us. So, like any good Bostonian, I, <laughs> I
0: tapped her on the foot and said, "Hey, let's grab a beer. We got time to kill." So, so what? So what were you doing? You, I, we talked about you know off camera prior. You, you had a really interesting career down the whole Beltway area prior to coming back here. Talk about some of the stuff you were doing there. So, uh, I worked for a long time in equity research,
1: investment banking, and consulting. Um, You know, originally uh, I got into equity research writing. Uh, research on the publicly mm-hmm. traded mid-cap defense stocks. So a uh, lot, lot to digest there. But really, companies that were between 50 and $500 million in market valuation that were publicly traded, New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, okay. Who specialized in defense products for the, the U.S. government? Um, so not not the Lockheed Martin, Martin's of the world, but I, I knew they would them uh, closely. But companies like AeroVironment, who makes small unmanned aerial vehicles, drones for the U.S. government. Uh, companies like Fleer Systems, um, Ducommon, they're, they're a company that made Aero components for you know Boeing and some of the uh, other manufacturers yeah. out there. So really kind of niche stuff, geeky yeah. tech stuff, uh, government contracting. Mm-hmm. But it was really interesting to work in an area of the world in in the area of investment that was tied so heavily to policy yeah. and budget funding cycles and be really techy at the same time. Um, but that kind of followed me on, and I, I moved up to Cambridge still writing research and then moved into working with uh, private equity companies in a consulting role uh, on, on leveraged buyouts, and uh, also working with strategic acquirers, other companies, buying companies, advising them on you know this is what a company really does and yeah. how, how they're making money doing it.
0: What made you jump to the mortgage world?
1: Uh, I grew unhappy. So it, like, like any person that's approaching midlife, you yeah. start to review your priorities. Uh-huh. Um, my wife and I, like I said, Allison and I moved to Marshfield in 2013 to start a family, and we we had a, a son who was then uh, two years old at the time, and I was spending an inordinate amount of time with clients in uh, on conference calls in my office in Cambridge, and doing really really interesting work, but just increasingly unfulfilled by it. And one day, yeah. my my two year old looked at me and asked, "Dada, where you go? Where you go?" Because I never saw him, I, yeah. I was coming home at, at eleven o'clock at night and going back to work at seven in the morning, and yeah. so you know we, we were just crossing each other's paths occasionally. Yeah. Um, and I knew that that wasn't the life I wanted to live. I, I wanted to be really involved in my community, and I wanted to be really involved with my family. I just didn't didn't want to uh, live and die by my work. Right. So picked picked up and started reviewing my priorities and. Uh, talked to some really close friends who were amazing advisors uh, mm-hmm. uh, who guided me, guided me back to my true north, and it, it was a, a amazing decision. I, I've never been happier, yeah. never been more successful with my career either. It,
0: it's just yeah. been been wonderful. I know you're not the type of guy that's like in the in the office, air quotes, all day. What's what's the normal day for you? Because I know you're always out and about, meeting with people. That's one of the wonderful things about my business. If I uh, really think
1: about it, when I started reviewing the career change, mm-hmm. I, I did this whole entire uh, analysis of where my skill sets were, mm-hmm. and I had spent a lot of my career in front of a, a computer terminal, modeling and writing, and you know, crush, crushing the phone calls day in and mm-hmm. day out, and. I was successful at it, but it was in spite of my skills. Right. My my skills are more relationship building and talking to exactly.
0: people. Yeah.
1: And so my day-to-day now is really largely focused on that relationship building and, and that advising folks. Uh, I've tried to create a team in my business that helps support me and does a lot of that work, uh, that that number crunching and that document correlation and, and all the back office type stuff so mm-hmm. I can be out spending time with clients. You know, we were prepping to sit down for this and I'm coordinating meeting one of my, my realtor yeah. partners for, for lunch right now. So a typical day is, you know, some sort of community meeting in the morning. You know, getting on the phone and answering emails from overnight and structuring some things for, for the next day and then meeting a partner for lunch and then in the afternoon a coffee with another partner yeah. and then end of the day, really getting back with clients as questions and, and issues build up through the day that you've got to digest. But my day goes 24-7 still. Yeah. I, well, well, I might have changed who I get to work with yeah, uh my 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 workaholic, doing business. my workaholic nature hasn't really changed oh, my yeah. wife probably would would appreciate it if I could figure out a way to dial it back but the the tremendous part is people have responded to the way that I yeah. do business mm-hmm. and, and the the phone keeps ringing and I'm always going to answer it so uh
0: you know, to that note, pick up the phone. Give me a call if you've got questions about mortgage. Always happy to answer. Who's the best partner for you? So if I'm who like if, if it's all about referrals and business and developing relationships, who are like what where's what are the best partners for you? Like character wise. Characteristic
1: Characteristic wise, it's people that are willing to trust in you, mm-hmm. your team and your process. Open heart, open mind. I've got a got a financial advisor partner that always says that to me. Been Andrew Guyton, the Guyton Group, fantastic financial advisor. Um, open heart, open mind. You're willing. You're willing to accept advice and partner with somebody to grow your business, and you're willing to put your trust mm-hmm. in them, and yeah. uh, in, in a committed fashion. Uh, in our business, there's there's no real way that you can financially structure things you're you're legally not allowed to nor would I want to yeah. structure things where you bind people up this is a business of trust and it's earned mm-hmm. day in and day out and so when you find somebody that you can put that trust in I've found that the really successful partnerships for me are the folks that own that fully and completely and invest yeah. in it so that we can share business and that's not just referrals back and forth but it's Sharing business planning, it's sharing ideas on how to grow each other's business. It's co-marketing. It extends through the gamut of yeah. uh, opportunities. We we find ways to align really tightly with each other um, through family, friends, relationships. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. It's it's a beautiful thing when it really is clicking.
0: Talk to me about the chamber. I know you're a VP over there. I that's how I got to know you. Talk about some of the stuff you've been done. You've done with some things that you're working on. I know you're heavily involved with a few things on that side. the
1: The chamber's been an amazing experience for me. Like like we said earlier, one of the priorities for me when I shifted careers was to be able to roll up my sleeves and be very involved in my community. I didn't want Marshfield just to be a place that I slept. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be a place where I lived, worked and played. Uh, that that's our our motto over at the chamber these days. You know, mm-hmm. under your leadership, we really, I, I felt like we started to find our footing as yeah. an organization. You, you did some amazing heavy lifting as president of the organization for many years to give us a strong foundation right. to grow from. Now, Alyssa McNamara, McNamara Financial Group, another wonderful advisor, mm-hmm. uh, financial advisor, if you guys are looking for one. Um, she's the president now, and she's, she set a really progressive agenda for us. Yes. Um, and... My passion is economic development, taking taking my my skills in business analysis in in government budget analysis and policy work, in community um, constituency building, mm-hmm. and driving those relationships in, in those skills to make meaningful change in the community. Uh, some of the stuff that we're working on now, Webster Walkability Initiative. So down in Webster Square, there's been a lot of traffic issues um, and a lot of um, a lot of opportunity, despite some uh, raggedness around the edges. I, I think people have really worked hard to make it a place that folks want to gather. Make it a downtown. And yeah, make it a downtown. It's taking it that last extra mile to make mm-hmm. it really a place that that sings. Um, it, it, there, there's there's music there, but they, it's not quite singing in tune just yep. yet. And so as an organization, Alyssa was able to get everybody to sit down at a table. And then uh, Tim Williams, Flaherty Insurance, fantastic partner as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he He's a member of the board over at the chamber. And some other partners, um, you know, Laura, Laura Brader, our executive director. We were able to wrangle town officials. Mike Maresco has been a huge champion of this, and uh, the DPW, and, and Sean mm-hmm. Patterson, and, and the guys over there, Greg Guimond, and the planning office, to bring together all the different parties around the table yeah. and come up with a thoughtful approach. For the chamber members and the non-chamber member businesses that are in town center, to solve some of the low-hanging fruit problems and let us move on to some more investment-oriented problems. Mm-hmm. You know, how do the 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 building owners and businesses make investment decisions longer term right. to be down there? Uh, some other initiatives that we're starting to approach. Um, But just beginning down the road of, you know, what's going to happen down in Green Harbor and Brant Rock with the business community down there that that's gone through some different puts and takes. What's going to happen with uh, single use versus multi use uh, overlays up up along 139? There's a lot of friction with the business community up in that area of town. Um, So just uh, there's there's a lot of opportunity to make small thoughtful changes in Mm -hmm. the policy around town to make Marshfield much more effective for Mm -hmm. its residents uh, and and continue to maintain the village-like feel of our town. I I don't think uh, one of of the things, and I I know you've got other questions, I don't want to dive off on a digression too far. One, One of the things that always strikes me when we sit down and start thinking about these things, this isn't growth or progress for pro- progress's sake. We're not grow at any any expense sort of mentality over at the chamber these days. It's a very thoughtful approach to what is the character of our town? Mm-hmm. How do we maintain that character? Well, making small thoughtful improvements that improve the overall quality of life for everybody and do so in a fiscally responsible manner. that That's really the most important part is I don't think the chamber ever comes hand out. We're always asking, how can we contribute? Right. What dollars need to be spent from our coffers to move this project forward? How can we support
0: project A, B, or C? It's
1: been amazing. You know, Some, some of the uh, interesting things that have happened down with Webster Walkability, the, the chamber shouldered the traffic study down yeah. there. We raised all the funds for it, and it wasn't a small endeavor. Yeah. Um, and it's not something that was on town's radar with being able to do in the budget, and so Chamber said this is really important to town center, to town, to our members. Mm-hmm. Let's take it on, and and we've been able to move the ball ball forward because we we grew such constituency yeah. down there.
0: So you also presented the grant writer article at town meeting not too long ago.
1: Yeah, that that was um, a no brainer. Tim Tim Williams and and I uh, like to sit down and have uh, sort of thought exercises about that low hanging <laughs> fruit we were just talking about. Um, He's been an amazing partner of mine over at the Chamber to come up with these ideas (laughs) Mm -hmm. and find the right people to bring these things forward. And when we looked at some of the issues that were going on around town, funding continuously Mm -hmm. is a question. And I, I by nature, am a fiscally conservative individual. Uh, I don't want any of my neighbors to pay for any of my passion projects. It's, it, it that just is not sensible for me, right. um, you know, because I wanna put flowers in the, in the traffic medians. I'm not gonna sit here and say, well, everybody should pay more in taxes. That just doesn't work. No, doesn't. Uh, so Tim and I started to read up on the grant process and get, get a little bit smarter about this. Tim has a little bit more experience through his Coastal Coalition work than I do. Uh, But just knowing government budgets, there are these huge pools of money that we as taxpayers- a lot of grant money. Yeah, we we pay into them year in and year out as taxpayers. But Marshfield, because we didn't have a grant writer, was not taking back its fair share in grant funding, whether it's through the Seaport Economic Council or through governor's grants or through budget Mm -hmm. requests uh, up at the State House or on the federal level, there's a ton of money. And so we said, listen, there, there's this huge opportunity if we can carve out a very small piece of town's budget to amplify that piece 10x, 20x, mm-hmm. 30x, and really get some huge return on the spend, and hopefully move some of these projects forward, mm-hmm. whether it's trail committee stuff, whether it's Webster walkability, whether it's the skate park, yeah. it's the seawalls. Uh, you know, the Moby Mats down at the beach, parking mm-hmm. studies for the beaches, traffic studies for 139, you name it. Yeah. The, there's a thousand different projects around town that need funding. And there's plenty of cash out there there's in the, in there the federal
0: and state coffers to get it, or private coffers, even. Starting to wrap up in yep. a little bit here, but uh just want to jump to some general stuff. What's what do you think is the best piece of advice you've ever received business wise? Oh wow. Um uh, Or, this isn't gonna or, look good on video. But you or, you or can trim this down. Or, a little or bit. like, or a person that you, in your career, that you've been like, that you've kind of taken some influence from.
1: So I, I had a business professor down at College of Charleston. Uh, I, I wish I had spent more time thinking ahead of time about this. His, his name was Harlan Hodges. He he uh, had spent a lot of time with uh, Gerber in their mm-hmm. in their product lines there, but. You know, he he
0: always used to have little little nuggets that he'd hand to us. If you could jump back and jump in the time machine, what's something you you would tell yourself, you know, when you are first kind of starting out in your career you know, that you know now or like a piece of advice or? Don't be afraid of starting. Yeah. You, so,
1: some, sometimes uh, you, you think you know what you want and you want to jump in, and, but you don't know how just roll up your sleeves and start doing it. You're gonna break eggs, you're you're gonna make mistakes, but Mm -hmm. life is is about the journey and and you you don't always know the final destination when when you get on the road. Um, So it's really, it's been an interesting path in my career. You know, meet lots of people, ask lots Mm -hmm. of questions, create lots of relationships, it's yeah. amazing the places that those will take you. But be willing to step back from time to time and really press yourself hard on what is most meaningful to you. I think mm-hmm. uh, I spend a lot of time counseling people these days, especially partners and uh, my team members uh, in the process of bringing on a, a junior right now. Mm-hmm. Um, find your big why when you're when you're 15 16 17 24 30 35 whatever the age is that big why might be a little nebulous a little harder to pin down Mm -hmm. um it becomes a moving target though and that's what i mean by don't be afraid of making mistakes Mm -hmm. you're just because you say it today is your big why doesn't mean tomorrow is. For me, it's my family. Yeah. I, that's my barometer now, how I measure all activities. If, if it's not moving me meaningly, meaningfully forward yeah. towards spending more quality time with my family, then then it's not an activity I need to be involved in. Um, so I, I, find, I find that the folks that really have that big why nailed down suddenly feel the clutter fall away, hmm. the noise disappears, you become super clear about the direction you need to go. And, and then when you're making mistakes, it's more about you know how, you, how you're aiming at that target.
0: Wow. Well, thank you for joining us on Let's Talk Business, Jeremy. I greatly appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule for doing this. It's been an absolute pleasure, Jonathan. Thanks so much for having me. Cool.